0: Good morning, Petaluma. This is Talking with Rabbi Ted. This is Rabbi Ted Feldman. I'm the rabbi of B'nai Israel Jewish Center here in Petaluma and also the chair of the Petaluma Community Relations Council. Our program brings together different uh, people from our community to share ideas, talk about events current and important for us in our community, and gives us an opportunity to learn about our local leaders, heroes, who are affecting our lives directly right here in the midst of Petaluma. This morning we're welcoming John Kennedy, who is actually of great fame this week. Uh, Last week he appeared on Andrea Mitchell's MSNBC program. and. Uh, this morning, you may have seen an article about him in the Petaluma Argus Courier, and it's wonderful to have John here with us today on our program. Welcome, John.
1: Thank you. Good morning. Good
0: morning. Good morning. So, all of these, all of these moments of uh, fame and uh, public presence for you—what have they been like for you? To all of a sudden be in the spotlight around these environmental issues and all that—what's that been like?
1: Um, the experience has been a little bit intense, I have to admit, especially being on TV and radio, uh, which is not part of my normal life, um, but I also feel kind of a a great responsibility um, feeling like I'm representing others when I do this, especially on the, on the TV program. I felt like I was representing my colleagues at EPA, both currently working as well as former, um, as well as the American public. I mean, I... I agreed to do that just because I felt that we needed another another voice out there on behalf of uh, American people in terms of protecting their public health and what I see is um, dismantling some of the programs that do that. So that's why I decided to do that. So your work with the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA,
0: uh, has uh, brought you to this point in your life about being very concerned with what's happening but before we get into some of those specific issues, let's go back a little bit to you. What, where did this come from in your life? How did you get involved in concern about the environment? Uh, connection with this position that you had in our in the EPA? Maybe you could describe that a little bit.
1: Well, sure. Like a lot of people in my generation, uh, grew up with a you know a lot of interest in the outdoors, a lot of hiking and so forth, and living near the beach. Um, so I've always had a great love for the outdoors, and when I started my career at EPA, it didn't take me long to realize. Well, wait, this is this is important work, and we just started having a family, and I realized I was working really to create a better world for my children and children around the world and their children. So, like others that work at EPA, I felt that responsibility, and it it, it mattered. It really was important work. Mm-hmm. I know you're very engaged
0: in uh, St. James Catholic Church here in Petaluma, and I'm wondering how your faith system, your sense of uh, personal responsibility for the world, developed in the church, and did that affect
1: any of this work for you? It did. I didn't really. Um, it didn't really kick in for me until my mid-40s, um, when my dad was passing away, and I. I decided to um, to engage more fully in that life and a life of service and, uh, you know, to honor my dad and honor my God and uh, just take it more seriously. And so that began a journey that continues to this day. And it really is about helping other people. So.
0: Yeah, that was quite a turning point, though, in your life that made a big difference for you. Yes. I think I had mentioned to you in our discussions at one point that, uh, in Freudian psychology, the 40s are the times in our lives when we get over our adolescent rebellion. It takes a long time. And from his point of view, from Freud's point of view, it was the return of the superego and taking in the messages that we got from our parents, sorting through them and deciding which ones of those would be important in our lives. And it sounds like this point in your life for you in your 40s was a major turnaround and it gave you a commitment into this work.
1: Yes, it did. And, you know, when you're in it, you don't think of those terms so much. But um, it, looking back, it certainly was a turning point for me. Yeah. Well, we were, we're very happy that you had that turning point because
0: your work has made uh, a big difference. So before we get uh, into the depth of the environmental pieces and the EPA politics and things happening, um, what else are you doing uh, in the context of your... Uh, church, your volunteer work. Uh, what's your life like in here in Petaluma?
1: Um, as far as the church goes, you know, I just participate in parish life. I play in a choir, play guitar, and sing in a choir. Um, I work in our community garden uh, on campus, uh, and the garden is there for um, raising fresh uh, produce for, and it's and it's organic, and we donate that to the kitchen every week. Uh, so over ninety percent of our Fresh produce goes to the kitchen to serve at the lunches and also goes into some of the food box programs. Um, And so our small group of volunteers manage that garden for that purpose. Um, Outside of the church, I volunteer a day a week out at Point Reyes National Seashore. I work in the visitor center, and there I help um, visitors from around the world uh, go out and discover our wonderful park and and just enjoy the nature there and the day. and then I think I'll mention lastly I'm on the Petaluma community Relations Council uh with you Rabbi and others and uh we 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 address issues relevant to the day to the day uh like immigration like anti hate like housing shortages uh posts, wildfire issues impacting our community. We've talked about a number of issues and and convened public forums where we bring together people and various organizations in town, including the city, uh, police department, city council, um, to uh, to address these issues and try to figure out what can we do, what can we do together to, to solve them or address them.
0: So it sounds like one of the things that you've been committed to over the years, and it's a term I'm not sure I'm pronouncing properly I, or using it in the sentence properly, but crucio, could you tell us what,
1: what that's about in the church and... Uh, how that's been part of your life over the years? Um, Curcio is a, an international organization that was formed in the 1940s in Spain. Um, it was an effort by a local bishop there to uh, get men back into the church after the war. They, they were not coming back. So it's a program designed to invigorate or re-energize people's faith walk. Um, it's a, here in the Redwood Empire. Which extends from here up to the Oregon border. It's a it's an ecumenical movement, and um, it's designed to bring people in for a long weekend and um, just have just have wonderful experiences in dealing with baggage they're carrying around and just be able to open up to the spirit and and thinking about their life and how they can go back to their life and as improved as better better people. So for me. After my weekend, that's when I started to engage in um, ex- other you know, volunteer mm-hmm. activities. Is it a men's group only? No, it's men and women. Oh, it is men and yeah, women. I Often was,
0: I was uh, under the impression it was men only. Okay. Well,
1: we'll have men only weekends uh-huh. and women only weekends and co-ed weekends. Uh-huh. Do you find it different experience when each
0: of those women only, men only for you, the men only weekends as opposed to the co-ed?
1: Is there a quality difference for you? Um, I, I think women-only, men-only, there's a level of um, safety or comfort, I guess, to be able to share things that may be harder to do in a co-ed setting, but I've been in co-ed weekends where they were truly wonderful right. experiences as well. It's so just different
0: experience. A little different, yeah. Right. Yeah. I remember one time I had a, uh, in the Jewish community, not in Petaluma, but I called a men's group meeting, and 35 men showed up, which was an amazing amount of people for for a meeting like that. And we started going around the room and asking everybody to introduce themselves, and every man to a person introduced himself by his name and what his job was. So after we got around the room, I said, really? That's all there is to men's lives? Just who they are on their driver's license and the job that they're doing. Can we try this again? <clears throat> the first person said, I'm so-and-so and my father's dying and I don't know what to do. Men needed to have this these moments in a group together after having been programmed to think a certain way to be able to get to their souls. And I assume that that same thing was happening in the context of Curcio for you particularly in the men's group, that kind of like
1: Well, first off, we don't say what we do. We don't talk about our jobs. Right. So we come, each of us comes, you know, with baggage, broken, you know, whatever, right. whatever's going on in our lives. and then, And then collectively we have this experience, and individually we have the experience. And by the end of the weekend, I've seen almost every single person I've encountered on these weekends come away uh, rejuvenated, feeling new life in them, and, and wanting to go back to their life and make changes. Whether to be a better husband, a better citizen, a better uh, father, uh, whatever it might be, um, I've seen that transformation over and over again. It's, it's really a wonderful experience. Uh, and you've worked hard now that you've gone through that process to
0: engage yourself in the community and help take care of our world in a different way than you did before. So let's go back now to the professional pieces. And what are you seeing in the national picture? What are your concerns about the Environmental Protection Agency, its work,
1: and how the environment is affecting our world? Um, Well, I spent three decades at EPA, and uh, and I worked with men and women who were dedicated public servants. I didn't consider us just a bureaucracy. I I felt that we all believed in the work we were doing to make a difference in people's public health and cleaning up the environment. So now I see the same men and women are still working there, trying to keep that up, but it's difficult under this environment with an administrator that's um, intentionally uh, trying to dismantle programs that we've spent years and years building. And a question I ask is, those programs are working. They, our environment is cleaner. People's health is better. Um, lead in paint is gone. Lead in gasoline is gone. Um, a lot of our air pollution is is, is gone. It's, we have a better atmosphere now than we used to back in the 50s, for example, in L.A., where I grew up, and we had smog alerts pretty routinely. We don't have those anymore. So if, we, if the administrator, Pruitt takes the uh, California clean car standards away, which I don't know that he'll be able to. It's going to go to court. Um, We're talking about putting back into the atmosphere hundreds of millions of tons of harmful air pollutants over the next decade. That's not only going to hurt people directly in their breathing, people like me, or children, um, but it's going to pump greenhouse gases, more greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, which contributes to climate change, global warming. So it's a bad move. And the only reason it's being done is to, um, uh, you know, he's a corporate front man is basically who he is. And so he's, he's just trying to provide that relief to his um, corporate allies. And so in my line of work, we, it's all about balance. We, we have to balance economic um, uh, trade-off with, with cleaning up the environment. And so everything we do at EPA We weigh those factors. We are on the side of public health, but we do weigh those factors. And this is tipped far to the one side of not weighing the environmental factor, but just the economic factor. I saw that news report uh,
0: yesterday about the rise of the oceans in coastal areas and how, as the temperature goes up in the world and the ice packs are melting, that we're going to be even more trouble in the long run. So it's it's from the air above, and it affects the water around us too. The whole the whole system of living is affected by the decisions that are being made here. If
1: you look at um, flooding maps of 2050, you know that's 30 years from now, basically. You will see large parts of Florida, Manhattan, California. Um, Pacific Islands, Alaska, Louisiana, all around all around the world, areas that are currently populated will be underwater. And so I know that city planners, community planners, are beginning to look at how we can plan for that because right now it's it's going to happen unless we do a hard reversal on um, the amount of CO2 and other greenhouse gases we put into the air. So uh, it's going to it's going to come. It's It's already here. It's It's already here, here. and it's
0: already happening. Yes, the description was of the temperature increase already, and predictions of what that will be like in the future, and and all of that. So, yes, it's here. Uh, I assume it's easier for you to speak about this uh, when you're retired and not connected to the agency officially now. Um, What is that like for the employees uh, who are there now? Frustration? What are you seeing and What's that connection between the retired and former employees and those who are still there? Well, they can't fire me, right? <laughs> they can't fire you. That's
1: encouraging. <laughs> uh, yeah, so what's going on at the agency is um, employee communications with the media and outside groups is clamped down pretty hard right now. All, all of the messaging has to go through Washington, through headquarters, and through their public information office. Um Obviously, retired employees, former employees, don't have those constraints, so um, our National Environmental Protection Network, of which I'm a member, we we act as a resource to those outside requests because we have that knowledge and we have access to finding out answers. And um, so whatever skill set we have, the questions will be directed to us accordingly. Mm. And... I, I believe EPA employees like having us there because we can speak on their behalf, as I tried to do last week on the TV program. And, um, you know, as long as as long as we get it right, um, we have accurate and up-to-date information, I think it's a good service, at least for now while we're in this time. Right.
0: So if you were to uh, want to tell the people of Petaluma, which you can through here, uh, what what is it they can do? How do we feel empowered in this, governmental struggle uh, to protect our environment and the air that we breathe.
1: Well, there are personal things each and every person can do in their life. And for me, I know I don't do it perfectly all the time, but I do try to do things like recycle, reuse, reduce my material uh, possessions and intake. Um, In terms of food wrappers, to try to buy food that doesn't have wasteful plastic wrapping. Um, I rode my bike here this morning. I try to do that as much as possible, um, and then I can vote. Uh, I can participate in city activities like like you've asked me to, and um, and uh, and I can vote. So everybody can a uh, voting age can do that, and, and that counts, and it's going to count this November. So I'm encouraging everybody to be up on the issues and the candidates, and and vote accordingly, um, but but vote. And I know that
0: this issue is not only a political and uh, environmental issue, but it's a very personal one because uh, you've been affected by
1: the air. Can you tell us a little bit about that and share? My diagnosis? Yes. Yeah, well, I was diagnosed exactly a year ago with stage 4 lung cancer. I have a, a rare uh, mutation that I, my, my demographic, you know, uh, white Caucasian male. I shouldn't have, but I do, and it's quite advanced. Um, So during the wildfires in October, for example, we were all impacted by heavy smoke. Everybody out on the street, it seemed, was wearing a white N95 mask, and uh, the couple of times I ventured out, I I really could not breathe. And I realized that all those years in the air pollution program at EPA, I could now relate at a personal level with those who suffer respiratory illness, Um, and so that made me feel good about the work that I and others did to protect people's, you know, right to breathe, and um, so, yeah, and uh, so it's a a very personal issue
0: for you, too, and I know you think about your grandchildren and future generations and how they might be affected by the air we breathe and the environment we live in and the power that we do have to make a difference in that. So I appreciate that and all that you do and all that you care about and certainly wish you a uh, a healthy future uh, as the journey of life unfolds. So I know you're also connected with me on the uh, coordinating committee of the Petaluma Community Relations Council. So, what's that? Why did you commit to that in the beginning, and what? The, how did you get to that, and what's that experience
1: been like for you? Uh, uh well, you called me out of the blue. One day. <laughs> oh, I did. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and then we met, came to the first meeting, and then and I could see what this growing network of uh, members in our community was trying to do, and I thought this is really a good thing, um, and. Went to the second meeting and re- that reinforced even more so. Um, we had city leaders there, police departments, city council, uh, church leaders, uh, or nonprofit organizations. I mean, this truly was building up a community network in Petaluma and getting out of, out of silos basically and talking to each other and figuring out how to work together to address these issues. And we started off with immigration. And together, we worked on developing materials and information to push out to the schools and to individuals on what their con- uh, constitutional rights are, should uh, ICE show, show up at their house or school or workplace. Uh, and that was that felt really important to me, and I think it does to all of us. Yeah, the community, uh, I'm always amazed we have about 60,000
0: people living here, and how many organizations and how much activism there is locally, which we're really lucky lucky to be part of uh, this kind of community and find so many people who are caring you know from your perspective what what issues would you put on high on the agenda in our future as a community aside from the uh, environmental issues obviously which are very important to you
1: well as you know we've had uh a couple of public forum meetings um, post wildfire in November and then another one in January to look at housing issues here in Petaluma. I would certainly recommend keeping that alive because um, we have such a shortage of housing that low-income people are young people. Um, I know many of our young people have to move away because they can't afford to live here. Um, So keeping that alive and in front of the city I I think is important. Um, one of the things on our agenda has been
0: this issue uh, that we're going to be addressing slowly, I believe, of uh, disaster preparedness. Would you like to comment on that? Because
1: that's something that you've been very intimately involved with in your life. Sure. Um, so following the wildfires, I know Sonoma County went through what we call an after-action uh Look at how things went, what can be improved. Petaluma did the same thing. And Petaluma's focus was mainly on sheltering people because that's what we did. Um, And the question came up in one of our recent discussions about well, how ready is the city of Petaluma and its residents to address the, to be prepared for the next disaster? And I worked the last 10 years of my career at EPA was in emergency response. So Um, I I was right in the middle of that. I deployed people to Hurricanes Katrina and Rita, subsequent hurricanes, oil spills, floods, wildfires, and so forth. So I know what goes into preparedness, being ready for a disaster. And In the the business, we say it's not if, we say when it's going to happen. So in Petaluma, we're very vulnerable to flooding, for example. But we could be vulnerable to fire, certainly earthquakes. So... (laughs) A question that we would want to engage with the city on is how prepared are we, are we right now and what needs to be done. The city will talk to us about how prepared are we as individuals because they can't, they're can they not going to solve every problem right away. And so it really is up to each of us to be prepared. You have earthquake supplies, for example. So that we're just entering that dialogue now, right? And it's a very important one. So... It's certainly
0: one thing for the city to have its disaster plan and to have all the pieces in place to help us should something happen. On the other hand, almost the more important part is the preparedness of the individuals, of all the citizens in their homes and businesses to confront whatever may happen in some way. And getting the two to work together to achieve that is actually a challenge. Uh, I always say... Uh, all of us live in Egypt because we live on denial <laughs> uh, and uh, that, that that this we deny that this thing is going to ever happen to us here, and the notion of when rather than if' is, is an important one that sounds like a great slogan for a public preparedness campaign. It's not if it's when, and it would help us to lead our community in some way to become better prepared. Are there magical things that Encourage individuals to do this. Any plans or programs that you've experienced that you know about?
1: Well, first let me say, um, preparedness is something that's it's, it's ongoing. It's not, you don't do it every once every five years and put the message out. When I first put my earthquake supplies together, it was years ago, and I, last year I looked at it and thought, well, the food's out of date, the water's out of date, the clothes don't fit, and you know the medical supplies are out of date. So I need to upgrade this. So okay. It's something that I should look at every single year, actually, and, and, and update my supplies. And that just takes conscious effort. Um, for governmental agencies to work on preparedness, you got to practice. you got to train. you got to exercise. You've got to keep it going. Uh, so it's key that we keep it going. And I believe the council will have um, an effort over the next several months to workshop with the public on how to be better prepared. So we've
0: spent a a little bit of time in our discussion today, a little bit learning about you and how you got to the work that you do, your connection with uh, your church and its influence in your life and the garden, the EPA and your work there, and of course the Community Relations Council and all of the contributions you are making. You know, I know that our world, uh, our newspapers are filled with hints of who the heroes are in our our world, and I believe our heroes are sitting right here with us, and you are absolutely one of them, because it takes the construct of a community engaged, committed to make a better life for all of us, uh, to truly make it happen. So, John Kennedy, I want to thank you for being here with us today on this Talking with Rabbi Ted. It's been good to be part of your media rollout in the past couple of weeks, and we wish you well in your health. You're listening to Talking with Rabbi Ted, KPCA-FM. You are listening to Talking with Rabbi Ted, KPCA FM, and it's a pleasure to welcome you back for the second segment and our second guest of today, Elise Hempel, who is the Executive Director of the Petaluma People's Services Center and also the Chair of the Board of our local health care district. So, uh, Elise, it's good to have you here today.
2: Hello, hello. Thank you for having me.
0: It's good. I understand you spend a lot of time at this studio. Well,
2: you know, whenever anybody invites me to come share about what I do and where I'm, how I do it, I say yes. And so when I drove up this morning, I was surprised I didn't have a parking spot.
0: Yeah, we'll have to see what we can do about that. It's much easier to be the guest maybe than have to organize all this, this side of the microphone. That's
2: right. But I love that this community is stepping up and really pulling together and putting together these shows. And I just think that's an amazing opportunity for this entire community.
0: I do too and I'm uh, hearing hopefully good things about some of our endeavors here of getting different messages from different people and experiences out in the community from both the faith community the nonprofit community uh, and all of that. So you're on today so that's good I'm glad you're here. So t- let's see you've been at uh, PPSC since 2011 I think.
2: Yeah, I think so 14 years now which seems 14 years. 14 years. 2011. Yes. Well, that's, no, that's no, not. No, I don't no. do
0: that kind of math. I've been here. Where did we see your math <laughs> report card? No, I failed
2: that. Hence <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. No, I've been at PPSC for 14 oh, years you now. Mm-hmm. It, but not mm-hmm. the director. For not 40. the director. Okay. Alright, now right. I
0: get it. Okay, I was wondering about that mm-hmm. man. Yeah. So what were you do- so how did you get to PBSC in the beginning? What was what brought you? How long have you lived in Petaluma? All those kinds of things? So
2: we've been in Petaluma for twenty five years and when I say we, I, I kind of have a big merged family, if you will. Um we were living in San Francisco and I was working in the technology at the start of the dot com boom in the in the early nineties. And so um I had great opportunities and great experiences working startup companies, and then actually moving into um, ventures and and doing some uh, venture capital work, and then lastly, mergers and acquisitions. And then I realized that my son was growing up, and I was missing part of that, so I decided to work from home for him a year, for a year, and honestly... I can't work from home. I need to be around people. And I, my son one day said to me, you know the guy on the radio? He's not your friend. Stop repeating his stories. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I decided I really needed to look for a job here in Petaluma. And and um, I've always been kind of associated with nonprofits, but never really worked for a nonprofit. let give lots of money to nonprofits and really understood how they they were operating and working. I had the honor to Work with um, the founder of one of my companies in Norman Lear, and start a foundation that was able to take the Declaration of, of Independence out to communities and schools um, all over the United States. So I kind of really got re-engaged with that, and that's when I decided I think I need to be in the nonprofit world.
0: Wow! So can you can you? This is something I'm trying to ask guests on the show to. Explore what was there anything in your life that you can ascribe to this wish to help the pe- world to work with people in this in this way anything that you can identify
2: not you know you when you we were talking earlier i I started to kind of think about that, you know, of course, my parents were great givers, my dad was a school superintendent, my mom was a teacher, they gave so much of their time, but I don't really think that that was that was something I was born into. It wasn't until I was a junior in high school. And um, they had a scholarship competition at my high school uh, for uh, a junior miss competition. And uh, I tried out not being the smartest, not being the cutest, not being by any stretch of the imagination the most talented, and I won. And one of the things that you had to do when you were Miss Deer Park and the junior miss was you actually had to work with the community to plan the community parade, the Settlers Day Parade. And honestly, that was the first time I I wasn't doing it with my parents. I wasn't part of whatever they were doing in volunteering. And that was the first time I actually got to start to really work with community leaders and people in the community who are passionate about making sure things were working in their community. And I think that was probably the tipping point, if you will.
0: Uh, That's amazing. I, I believe all of us have some story back there in our lives that made that And since you won the Junior Miss, you've gone on to receive many awards over the past number of years for your amazing work and your dedication to the people you serve, first of all, and to our community as a whole. So thank you for all of that. But now we know you started as that winner back then. I was.
2: As I point out to everybody, look, it was not a swimsuit competition. You need to know that right oh, away.
0: I don't know. I did some research, and I saw No, I didn't see any of those things. Okay. Okay. That's good. So... So you're at PPS. So when you became uh, when you became executive director of PPSC, what was the agency like, and what's what's happened so in the intervening years?
2: The agency has been a a, 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 a a mainstay in this community. Really started by the faith-based organizations, and 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 has provided and grown all of their services. The one thing that wasn't happening was we really didn't have to go out and ask the community for dollars because so much of our funding came from federal funding and state funding and county funding. We were able to do those services. And the model then was you do those services and when you ran out of money, you stop doing them. Um, And to me... That was not how we needed to operate. So the first thing I did is I went with our board, I worked with our board, and we started an endowment. So now PPSC has an endowment in order to ensure that we're going to be around for the rest of the next 200 years, or however long this community needs us. And then I started to really engage our community and... and realize that so many of our services, people knew they were using them when they were using them, but they didn't really understand how they kind of all fit under our umbrella at Petaluma People's Services Center. And so it's been my goal and mission to really reach out to the community and explain to them all of the services we do and all of the hard, heavy working, lifting that we do. You know, last year we served over 10,000 residents, mm. some 365 wow. days a year because they get Meals on Wheels. And some we see once, they come in, they may get rental assistance, they get some programming associated with it, and they're gone because that's all they needed. They just needed to be able to get into that housing or stay in their housing, and then they didn't need us anymore. And so those are the kinds of of impact that we have on our community on a regular basis. And, you know, a lot of uh, uh, nonprofits count the number of people they've served. I think one of the things that's most important and more important to me is the number of people who actually volunteer at PPSC. You know, we use over 550 volunteers uh-huh. a year. Some volunteers are showing up every single day of the year and volunteering uh-huh. to prepare meals or to help. But right now we have people in the backyard at the main office. We have people at our adult day program singing and dancing. We have people getting and preparing meals on wheels. And we have people who are doing administrative work, helping us make sure that our counseling programs are working smoothly. We couldn't do it without the volunteers. And so I, you know, when we count our outcome... I count the number of volunteers that are engaged in what we do every day.
0: It's really an important number and an important contingent in the community, of those volunteers. I remember many years ago, I lived in a community, and the city government was going to cut funding to the local mental health clinic, and uh, I went to the mayor. It was a small enough town where I could go to the mayor like I can mm-hmm. here, and said to him, do you know that... That's a nonprofit clinic, and they can provide the service that you're getting for much less money than you are putting in. If you want to replicate that, it's going to cost the city a lot more because they have volunteers, they have a supportive community behind them. So, the role of the nonprofit in our service delivery, particularly in mental health and social services, is a vital, vital piece of our community. And I know you had some concerns about what's happening with funding and ter- uh, mental health stuff.
2: Right. You know, thank you for uh, queuing that one up because, I like that one. Um, that yeah, you know, and, and as my staff says, please don't get up on the soapbox, but it's so important for the community to understand the impact of cutting behavioral health counseling, That will, how it will impact us not only now and, and in uh, and but how it will drag out into the future, because one of the things that you we've learned is that if you can address mental health issues early on, then, then you can find the solution, and then those mental health issues may be dealt with, and they never reoccur for an individual, or they recognize that they need this assistance, and they're able to access this assistance. By cutting programs, which is currently what the Sonoma County is looking at doing, we will be... Uh, uh, very, very impacted. And, And when I say we, it's not just PPSC as an agency. Yes, we get funding from the county and we provide those services, but it's our community members. It's our community members who walk in and get counseling, whether it be for um, their children, or their um, marriage, or maybe they're divorced and they need co-parenting classes. All of those things that are available at PPSC will be impacted. And yes, we're not gonna completely cut them off, but the number of people that we're gonna be able to serve and the, the quality of performance that we're able to provide to these people will be impacted. And and um, again, to to Rabbi Ted's point, if we cut these services that are provided, these direct services that are provided by nonprofits, there's no way we're going to be able to replicate them in any kind of for-profit kind of model. And so w- we may be looking at, at a legacy of Issues that impact this community, not not even into the 5, 10, 15 years, but into the 30 years, especially after this last rash of fires. My goodness, you know, one of the things that, that I've learned, and I'm not a behavioral health um, specialist by any stretch of the imagination, but I've learned that... These trauma, the trauma that we went through with this disaster, can trigger so many things in people. One of the things that we do learn about, and I've learned about, is the ACEs test, which is a test that they give now to young children, um, and and adults to identify things that happened in their life, trauma that happened in their life as they when they were youngsters, that may impact their future. So honestly. Because of these fires, this entire county, all of our children, have moved up one notch on the ACEs score, and so that's going to be seen 30 years from now when they're working in the work world, and and all of a sudden there's a trigger, even if it's bad winds. I talked to somebody yesterday; she's like, "I'm traumatized by wind now," and I wasn't even really impacted by the fire. Those kinds of things are going to live with us for a long time. Cutting behavioral health right now is not what we need to do, and again you know i ask you to reach out and talk to your supervisor supervisor rabbit i'm sure would be happy to talk to you about what they're thinking about doing but Look at where we're going and how we're doing it. And of course, at PPSC, we're not going to, we don't rely on the county to do all of our funding. In fact, a third of our funding comes from the county. So we'll continue to ask our community and go out and do fundraising events specifically for mental health and go out and get as many grants as we can. But we can't do all the hefty lifting. We need to be partners with the county. And by the county making those cuts, we will lose that partnership. It's
0: interesting you talking about grants and and government funding, uh, the infrastructure in, nonprofit, in nonprofits gets very heavily uh, administrative in trying to deal with grants and uh, government funding because there are high levels of accountability. There, each funder wants different kinds of reports and reporting. Each funder wants to be tickled in a particular way about the money they have given to an agency, a nonprofit. And it requires that the nonprofit staff up in order to be able to keep up with that. I've always found that almost contraindicating the work that the, that's done with this money, for the, internally the nonprofit has a struggle mm-hmm. with that kind of stuff, and I'm sure
2: you've experienced it too. We have, and so PPSC actually is going through some reorg, if you will, and, and we are changing our layers of administrative staff so that our administrators, including myself, are doing a lot of the direct services work um when When you are working with our housing department at Petaluma People Services Center, I actually if if our fair housing guy is on the phone you're going to get me because that's how we operate, so we're trying to eliminate as much um, uh, administrative overhead, but it's hard. You still have to have administrative overhead. you know one of my favorite questions that really spins me up is is the question on on foundation grants and even uh, county grants. Is, is how do you make yourself sustainable? It's like I'm a nonprofit. It's part of my job to ask you every year for money. That's what we do. That's how we are sustainable. And so if people that don't understand that, I feel like I really need to spend a little bit of extra time educating them that this is the model that we operate. Yes, we are very efficient at PPSC, probably more efficient than most. And I think one of the things that makes us more efficient and not as impacted to funding cuts, is because we are a multi-services agency. So we serve seniors and we have counseling, we have employment programs, we have housing programs, we have the Petaluma Bounty Farm. So all of those those funding mechanisms um, may ebb and flow, and we're able to kind of fill the buckets with our fundraising as, as we see fit to make sure that everything stays level. Because one of the things that I, as a leader in nonprofit, never, ever want to do is say to a client, we're done with this program. We are never going to start a program that we know is only going to last a year. We want something that's going to last multiple years and grow and expand and then become a valuable part of our community, and so we really are careful about that.
0: I was I was once at a forum with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, mm-hmm. and there were 300 people in the room, and uh, one of the program officers is talking about future funding and all that, and I raised my hand and I said, what are we going to do about the fact that we have to lie every time we apply for a grant? And she looked at me and said, what, what, what do you mean? I said, well, it's that last question. After our grant is over, where how are you going to fund this program? And then we have to make up, you know, stories about how we're going to fund this program because I promised her that most of us don't know how we're going to fund it in three years from now after the program after the grant money runs out. It will work on it, but we don't know it before we apply the money. I'm sure that's, that's right. Experience. That's
2: right. You know, and and one of the, I just was in a meeting yesterday, and and so PPSC traditionally has always used evidence-based or evidence-informed programs. So we're not necessarily recreating the wheel. We go out and look at what's been evaluated, what has the right kind of outcome to meet the needs of our community, and then we overlay that into the work that we're doing, and and. It's a, probably a little bit more expensive way to provide services because there's intensive training, but I will guarantee you because of those and because we run them to fidelity, we get the outcomes that we commit to our funder. And and I agree. Um, finding that those those ongoing dollars are always so hard. And like I said, a third of our funding comes from from our federal and state and county grants. The rest of it comes from our community and it's our community recognizing the value of the services we provide
0: and for that we're grateful to we are so community, grateful right? yeah that, uh, you know people who step forward and help out so I want to uh, take a little turn in in our discussion to your other hat by the way uh, other boards that you're on too, beside the uh, healthcare district. Uh,
2: uh, well, the healthcare district. I do sit on a lot of different kinds of advisory boards. I'm on the Bank of Marin advisory board. Um, I am on the Kaiser Patient Advisory Board. I sit on some of the county advisory boards. Um, but, but the, the the two most important things right now in Petaluma for me are PPSC and the, um, the healthcare district board. Um, that board. Uh, I I joined that board recognizing that one of the most important keys to how we deliver health care in this community is a quality ER. And and I'm committed to always having a quality ER because of the matrix of and or I call it the Rubik's Cube of how healthcare is provided in, in Petaluma. You know, we have quality health care provided by the Petaluma Health Center, Kaiser, Petaluma Valley Hospital, even Sutter comes down and provides services down here. But uh, they all are here and able to provide those things because of that uh, uh, quality ER. And so it's so important that we keep that hospital open and, and, and providing um, the services that we provide. So,
0: Any update on where we are so, with the So
2: the update is, is we have begun again or reopened negotiations with St. Joseph Health. There was recently a press release, I think last week, St. Joseph Health and Adventist, are form, coming together, two hospital organizations um, with uh, uh, faith based missions are coming together to form a new company called uh, Sacred Health. And Sacred Health will be a standalone uh, uh, organization that will be able to operate under both umbrellas of those two organizations but allow those um, faith based. Hospitals to provide services that they wouldn't normally be able to provide, and so we're very hopeful about that. Um, we are re-engaging um, with St. Joseph Health and and the new company to to really start the discussion again to make sure that we are able to um, have our quality hospital that we have. People don't know and understand until you start to understand how community-based hospitals actually operate throughout California we are so lucky and so blessed here in Petaluma. I mean, even look at what's happening in Sebastopol. There's a lot of unknowns out there at that community-based hospital. We in Petaluma are pretty, pretty blessed. And something this community doesn't recognize is, as a special district, we could tax. And most, most hospital districts tax. We don't tax our residents to provide that quality hospital. And that's a really important um, aspect of how we get our health services here in Petaluma.
0: So where does the funding come from?
2: The funding, well, for the last 25 years or 24 years has been St. Joseph Health signed a lease and provided that lease and has operated that hospital, Um, and so we don't have any additional funding. We are currently looking at the status of our hospital, and once we kind of get through the lease, we may actually go out and and, um, do a bond or geo bond to upgrade some of the services that we provide at the hospital, but I'll be honest with you. This community, again, such a giving community, the foundation is able to raise the dollars to provide services in our hospital that that you couldn't get in other places. Right now, the mammogram machine that we have, um, because of the fundraising effort here in it, by the Petaluma Foundation, we have um, it, it far exceeds any of the imaging um, um, machines that are throughout the North Bay, and so people from all over are coming to use this equipment because it can pinpoint and identify um, any kind of abnormality in in uh, women's breast tissue that you could you can see with the naked eye through this machine. It's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm.
0: So, but the hospital, of course, is more than just the ER and uh, the range of services.
2: Is That's fine. right, and 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 um, our core services at Petaluma Valley Hospital. Again, that hospital wins awards. It it outperforms any of the other hospitals in the Saint Joseph Health Network, California wide. And so, it's a quality hospital and quality employees. Oh my gosh, so many of them have been there for so long, and. I, I, I have to, my heart goes out to them because this has got to be as much as the angst in my heart every day when I deal with how we're going to deal with this hospital. They have to get up and go to work there, not knowing what's really going to happen. I mean, St. Joseph Health is committed to stay, um, and 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 I think we will see even more commitment to stay as we move through this transition. But that's got to be hard you get up and you don't know who your who your boss is going to be that day so that's hard and that's um dissettling. um and you hate to have anybody who's providing your me- medical services Thinking about something like that as they're doing that, because they should be focused 100% on on their quality. And again, my heart, my heart and hat goes off to all of those um, employees that are currently providing services at Petaluma Valley Hospital because they are they haven't missed a beat. They are so driven to make sure that they are providing the kind of quality care that we deserve in Petaluma.
0: Well, and thank you for your work mm-hmm. there. And another hat we haven't talked about. Uh, is that you are part of the coordinating council of uh, the coordinating committee of the Petaluma Community Relations Council? So, what's that been like for you, and uh, why did you jump on board with that?
2: Well, first of all, I think the 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 thing my, everybody in my family says to me is she can't say no, so ask her to do it, so she'll she'll show up. But the the Community Relations Council resonated with me when we when you first met with me because because I think that. This community is good at collaborating, and this community is good at understanding what everybody's needs are. We needed to have a platform so that we could talk about those needs and all come together with all of our different voices in order to be able to provide a a conversation in our community so that we can all continue to learn. And it's been amazing to to work with this group of, of leaders. You know, you had John on, yourself. This is a group of people who are passionate about making sure this community is, is, is how we want it to live, which aligns with PPSC's mission about being able to live with dignity and self-respect wherever you are. And it aligns with my personal mission, which is it is all about community. And, you know, I go and speak to the freshmen at high schools, and, and I tell them, it is, your community is who you're with at that moment. That's your community, and you should be focused on them. And so taking it to the Petaluma Community Relations Council, it allows this bigger opportunity to look at how we can all come together and really focus our energies on things that need to be addressed. And we might not always agree on what we're addressing and how we're going to address it, but if we can't continue to learn... And continue to disagree sometimes, then we will we won't be the kind of robust community that we want us to be
0: right, and I think that energy of dialogue creates more energy, uh, groups finding that other people are doing some of the same things and combining efforts, avoid duplication of services, all kinds of good things that can come of a community that sees itself. Working together. Yes. And I think all of your emails say... It's all
2: about community. It's
0: all about community. And Ted,
2: most people don't know this, but I actually type in, it's all about community, every time I send that email. That's not generated. My address piece is, but it's a reminder to me that what I'm doing every day even that minute that I'm responding to an email, I'm typing in, it's all about community. That's why sometimes you probably says it's all commute. It's <laughs> sometimes all my commute. fingers are on the wrong place. It's
0: all about commuting. Some <laughs> people will tell you that, too, in their lives. That's very true. But I, I think you're absolutely right. And within that community, of course, are all the individuals. And Petaluma People Services Center uh, is committed to serving the individuals in the community to strengthen them in their lives, confronting all kinds of things and uh, trying to make their lives better so that our community as a result of that is even stronger. Um, so any last-minute thoughts before we finish well, up you our know, I, I,
2: I'm pro- I don't want to get my hand slapped, and I know we have such great – Listenership. I didn't forget to mention that I am on the Petaluma Chamber of Commerce board. And right. again, I think that that's an important aspect of who we are because our businesses should reflect who we are as a community. And so I do give a lot of my time to our, our Chamber of Commerce too because um, it. it, it it, it is our future, our, our businesses and our small businesses, and even our large businesses. Again, if we didn't have a hospital, those large businesses couldn't be there. It all comes together. It all commingles. But I want to thank you for having me.
0: And thank you, Elise Hempel, uh, for being with us today I'm Talking with Rabbi Ted. Uh, once again, today we explored uh, two aspects of people's lives in our community through the eyes of John Kennedy uh, EPA, retired EPA manager, and Elise Semple. We look forward to connecting again in two weeks on Talking with Rabbi Ted. KCALP, Paluma, California.
1: Hey guys,
0: it's Ben and we There was a new radio station in town.
1: Oh, oh, you mean Free Range Radio KPCA at 103.3 FM. Yeah, that's
0: right. How did you know about that? Well, I just look where all good information comes from. Facebook. Just follow the Free Range Radio KPCA page and join the discussion. Just keep it polite. Facebook? (laughs) Yeah. Our on-air personalities will post updates and information on their shows, as well as events and news concerning the station.
2: I'm Naomi Takeuchi, and I'm The Movie Muse. If you like the movies, we'll have a chance to chat about films that are screening and have special guests as well. If you want to engage in the film industry and be inspired, tune into my show, The Movie Muse, Sundays at 6.30 p.m. on KPCA 103.3 FM or www.kpca.fm.
0: Thank you for listening to KPCA Petaluma's Free Range Radio. KPCA is a community radio station that highlights the creativity of individuals. Let your voice be heard and become a programmer. If you have something to say and want to get involved, visit us at kpca.fm or call 707 773 3190. KPCA LP Petaluma, California.